And we are back with another Beyond the Streams Presents interview. Uh, this is going to be a really, really fun one. Uh, Next Level and I, um, it's interesting because we're both first gen into our countries. So hearing some of this, <laughs> uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Next Level, how you been, dude? How are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, super excited. Uh, some good conversations for sure to be had. Um, you know, it, it's... It's interesting to think of us living in a first world country that I could still be an immigrant moving into the States because I don't I don't live in the United States. I'm across the border here on Canada. So if I do have because I have a lot of friends that want me to come over to Texas and California and Las <laughs> Vegas and all over. But it's not as easy to transition from one place to another. So I'm super excited to hear more from our guest speaker here, Misha. For sure. And um, yeah, before we really begin, make sure everybody checks out the description below. We always leave links to uh, some of our affiliates. So we got Buzz TV. Um, we got a good VPN service. So make sure you guys do check us out. And then also make sure you guys do leave us a comment, leave us a review. Um, we love to hear and see your comments. And yeah, um, today we do have uh, Misha and I can't, I think it's Pov. Solid. Esipov. 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 All right. I'm close. <laughs> um, I've, if I've you heard can, far worse. <laughs> trust me. For me, um, my name in Spanish is Esteban. Everybody butchers it, though. They say Esteban. I'm like, no. <laughs> I've gotten that a few times, too. Yeah, I get so, I get like Espinoza for some reason. I'm like, there's, there's letter, those letters don't even exist in my name. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can um, give us a quick short intro of who you are, what do you do, where do you work, like like you know a little bit of background of you. Sure, happy to. Um, originally from Russia, came to the states uh, as a kid, uh, right after the the old fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, so grew up in the States, Midwest, uh, mix of Midwest, East Coast, um, studied math in New York, uh, started my career uh, in finance, and then uh, have for the last almost six years, five, six years, been building a business called Nova Credit. Uh, and basically what we do is we help uh, recent immigrants um, bring their financial identity with them to the United States uh, so that they can access financial services uh, when they when they first arrive. Because the, the basic problem is that, you know, when you come to the United States and apply for credit, uh, you don't have any credit history because you just got here. And so when you go and apply for credit card, auto loan, student loan, apartment lease, cell phone plan, all those things, um, you get rejected because you don't have any identity in the United States. And so we, we solve that problem by allow pe allowing people to port over the information that they've built about themselves from wherever they're from. That's cool. Um, now, it's funny because Next Level and I were talking about this. Uh, so I have, and I, and I think next level also, we both have our parents and families that are from a different country. So mine is from uh, El Salvador and my birth dad, I don't really know too much about him, but he's from Costa Rica. And um, they met, yeah, they, they met here in the States and it was, you know, I was, I was born here. I was born in, in, in California. So I, my, my grandmother, when she was alive, I was able to have a really deep conversation with her. Um, I actually did like a whole, a whole, like an interview thing with her that I could share with my family. And it was just, it, it was, it was just, it was that, like, how did you get here to the States? How did you, um, Establish how did you find a job? How did you get credit? How did you buy a house? Like, cause that, cause that process you know, it's not, it's not easy. And, and here me being, you know, in, in the United States, I, I, I see the struggle that a lot of people do have when they come here. And right. one of the things it's, it's, you know, I have uh so my, my, my stepdad, uh, my first stepdad lives in uh, Mexico now and his niece, um, you know, she goes to school, she has a bachelor's and everything. And sometimes that doesn't translate when you bring that stuff over here. You know, they don't recognize it mm -hmm. to an extent, you know? Um, so I guess uh, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I, what was your experience coming to the States? Um, what was it when you came here and like, what, 
what what issues did you have when you're just like okay i want to start this i want to buy this i want to have this you know what i mean like like what what was it yeah, yeah, I want first, to build it. First generations, like our, our parents had to do the immigration process. We didn't right. have to immigrate to this country, right? right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I moved here when I was uh, two and a half, right? So, I, yes, I was born in the Soviet Union, born in Russia, um, but I was, you know, I wasn't really a, a conscious being all that much uh, when I, when we first immigrated, um, and uh, you know, I, I think. For, for me, my part of my experience, I think, is really the story of my parents and, you know, their pursuit of, you know, a better life. The American dream is, you know, we always talk about um, three personas. People come here for uh, for work, for opportunity, education, uh, and, and also for love. Those are kind of the, 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 the three personas. Love being like if you're, you know, moving to marry somebody or, you know, moving with a spouse or partner. Um, and for us, I mean, when, you know, when immigration as a whole is like an incredibly humbling experience. I mean, in, in, in Russia, my parents were, you know, very well educated and you know, the school systems there are quite strong. And when we came here and we, we ultimately immigrated because my father, um, you know, got a, you know opportunity to work at a university in upstate New York, um, you know, very sort of like many people, we lived a very humble transition. You have to start over. You have to. Uh, you know, retrain yourself in many ways professionally. My mother worked at like the local library uh, for, you know, for a number of months and a number of other odd jobs over the years. Um, and, you know, as part of, you know, thriving, if you will, or, or making it or if even surviving in a, in a capitalist society is you have to have access to the financial system, right? You have to be able to, you know, use a bank account and you have to be able to borrow uh, when an unexpected event happens. And the thing about immigration is that when someone first arrives, um, many people don't necessarily have the same sort of social safety net to go to. And that makes the immigration journey even more vulnerable and that makes access to financial services even more important. And for, for us, I think the, the anecdote I, I'll share periodically is, you know, it took us over a year to, to um, save up enough savings to be able to get our first like old used Honda um, because no one would give us an auto loan, right? This is mm -hmm. almost 30 years ago. And, you know, it's exciting to say that like that problem is one that like we can now solve um, as a business. I can, I can share a little bit more later on as we get into it about how exactly we do that. But, you know, I think the, the immigration journey is one that's faced by millions of people every year. Um, and it's a challenging, scary one. But, you know, if you think about the the overall immigrant population and its benefits and contribution to the society, like it makes the world and society yeah. a lot more rich, a lot more vibrant, a lot more fun mm -hmm. uh, existing existence to be a part of. I think it's overlooked a lot how essential immigration is to economy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we see inflation happening all the time. We see real estate prices going up and everything else that's going on around us. But without more people coming into society, those are essentially little workers that are paying tax dollars that are paying for everything that's going on around us, right? We need our population to go up in order to, I guess, to match with inflation. And if we don't, then things can get pretty bad pretty quickly. <laughs> right. I mean, if, if you just think about like the economic value of an immigrant, for example, just like taking all ethical things off the table for, for a moment um, and just like think about economic value, it takes... 25 years to take a child to be like a positive contributor to yeah. society from an economic mm -hmm. perspective. That's a huge investment, right? right? And in, in a world today where, you know, our birth rate in the United States is roughly two, like we're barely replenishing our, our, our population. Uh, and there have been years where we haven't, I believe, like immigration is what's creating population growth for us. And the beauty of it is we can skip all 25 years of investing in somebody and just bring someone in, yep. you know, whether it's for, for college or for, you know, being a foreign professional and just immediately be able to like contribute to the economy and contribute to, you know, taxes, jobs, growth, um, and GDP. Immediately. And that's without, at least from my understanding, I'm not going to get into it yet, but without the assistance from your company, it would make it very difficult to, I guess, jumpstart that process right away. <laughs> um, I, I am curious though, because it's very, it's very easy for us to see an issue and complain about it. It's very, very yeah. easy. 
It's very easy, right? For for us to be like, you know, as as immigrating into the country, we understand how difficult it is to apply for any kind of aid through the government, um, to get loans, to get whatever. We can complain to our family and our friends, but how do you go from seeing the issue, being frustrated with the issue, and then creating a fintech company to solve the issue? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I'll go in a little bit into it. So. You know, when I first came out to California for grad school, I didn't come out here with the intent of like starting a company. It was, I really came out here because I was like, I was pretty lost professionally. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, the track I uh, was on in New York kind of was interesting, but something didn't sit right with me and kind of felt a little bit too clear and too certain. And I wanted a life with more of an adventure. And so I started playing around with like different problem spaces, uh, areas of interest for me. Um, and I started doing a bunch of user research around how do people make financial decisions. So I was like talking to classmates and anybody who'd give me the time of day and asking them basic questions like, you know, Hey, do you have a credit card? How'd you make that decision? What made you pick that card? Do you have a student loan? How'd you decide which student lender to provide, uh, to, to go with, who gave you advice on that? And we were just asking very broad based user research questions. And quickly we realized that half the people we were speaking with were, uh, international students. Uh, this, how that just happened to be like the environment I was in, which is true of most graduate programs here in the United States. Um, and 100% of that half was like, this sucks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't get a credit card. I can't get an auto. I have to go like beg my fifth cousin to like sign up for their family plan uh, yeah. or my like eighth uncle to like co-sign my apartment lease if I have one. And it's just kind of like everyone has created these like duct tape solutions to yeah. to work through what is ultimately an information problem. Uh, and the information problem is that like, these are, you know, very high potential, very ambitious people that are coming here that have gotten into great schools, that have gotten great jobs. Um, and in the vast majority of cases, they have had experience with financial services in their home country. Like, it sounds like you're in Canada. Like many, you know, most Canadians have had experience with some form of, yeah. of a credit card or auto. And that information had no way of actually crossing over the U.S. border and right. making it into the United, into the U.S. financial system. And so we sort of set out to solve that problem. Um, and it, it takes a, uh, an unhealthy dose of like naive optimism to like muster the, the courage to uh, actually try it. I think anybody who really understood the financial services industry or credit reporting would say like, this is crazy. It's just, it's too hard. Yeah. And we sort of went in bright eyed, bushy tailed and said, you know, this can't be so hard. We can crack this in like 12 months. <laughs> And like link up the whole world and then we'll be on to the next act. And, we'll go to the next world after that. Right. And then, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll build integrations to Mars and other you know places and be an interstellar company. I don't know. Um, I digress. But the, you know, the, the, the core idea was that like <clears throat> in order to systemically solve this problem, we have to be able to build the links around the world to allow this information to flow in a standardized manner. Uh, under the express and voluntary consent of the people that want this information to go with them. And so ultimately that's what created uh, the credit passport, which is sort of our, our flagship product. The same idea that the idea there being the same way that your passport is uh, how you travel the world. Your credit passport is your financial identity that can travel with you and unlock financial services. Um, I got one real quick. Yeah, I, I see next level's eyes like like he's, his gears start turning and I'm just like, oh, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> um, Okay, so you you mentioned this credit passport, which I think it's it's an amazing thing to have, like that we need. I think I think the world needs something like this. Um, I guess how is how does that work with different countries, different governments? Like, what is like? Is there like some kind of approval? It, like, how is it that you can? do that handshake when you're when people are coming in or out across you know like clear across the world how, how, how exactly does that work and how do you build those relationships yeah maybe i'll start a little bit with just like what is credit reporting um like where did it come from why does it exist does it exist around the world and like how we ultimately pulled it together because i think that's the like most first principles way of thinking about it so like credit reporting has been around for for over 100 years um it exists to um create a safe and sound financial system where you know good behavior is rewarded with better rates uh, mm-hmm. 
and bad behavior uh, will travel with you because it pre presents a risk to the overall financial system. So if you mm -hmm. pay your debt on time, uh, your credit score goes up and you will ultimately be rewarded by the system with like more affordable rates as you need to borrow for other things in your life. If you are bad, uh, your rates will go up or you will be rejected for financial products um, going going forward. And so the credit bureau space has, has really emerged um, over the last century. Uh, you know, the U.S. were probably best known for our three credit bureaus here, Experian, Equifax and TransUnion. Uh, hopefully some of those names ring a bell. Um, they exist around the world. They have competitors around the world. Um, and the space grew from about 30 credit bureaus 20, 30 years ago to now I think there's over 300 of them around the world. And, and the reason for that explosive growth of, of credit reporting is that, you know, the uh, every government around the world recognized that um, being able to create safe and sound consumer lending can help drive economic growth. Um, and in order to do that, you need this central repository in every country to help create that. So in India, as an example, you know, over, over a billion consumers 25, 30 years ago, there was no credit bureau. And then they, now there are four and uh, in aggregate, they have somewhere around four or 500 million records. And so, you know, yes. approaching half of the Indian population now has had a proof of experience with financial services. And that allows them to continue to unlock opportunity uh, through being able to, to bank and borrow. Um, and so a lot of what we do um, has, well, it started by really like understanding the world's map of like, where are these bureaus? Do so they exist everywhere? And if you go and do a bunch of desktop research, you'll realize that, um, you know, there is now a credit bureau in just about every major economy. Uh, there's only one G20 uh, exception, which is France. Uh, I won't bore you with the reasons for why, but there's a, a long story <laughs> there. Um, and basically what we've done is we've gone around the world, like physically, like I have flown to these places. I've met with these credit bureaus and gone to various industry conferences. And I've said, hey, here's what we're doing. There's millions of people who move around the world. Um, if you believe that consumers have a right to their own, for own information, then they should be able to access it, whether they're physically located in that country or located outside. And all we want to do is to help people access their own information. And what they so choose to do with that information is their right. And we want to also help them use their own information to unlock opportunity uh, in wherever they're moving. And so that's ultimately what, what we do. So, you know, the, the, the user experience for someone is like, hey, I want to apply for an American Express card. I just moved to the U.S. from Canada. Um, uh, let's assume this is someone who doesn't have any U.S. history. They apply for an Amex card. Amex is going to check the U.S. Credit Bureau. Uh, the U.S. Credit Bureau is going to say, we don't know who this person is. And so prior to our existence, that consumer would be rejected. Instead, what mm -hmm. happens is like we emerge within that application and we give the consumer the opportunity, the option to say, hey, I want to actually bring in my history from from Canada and use that to support my eligibility. And it's a, you know, a one minute long piece of the application. And a minute later, this consumer can be approved for their first product here uh, that otherwise would have been rejected. And that's really kind of the wow experience that we help create. It, it's crazy to hear about the Band-Aid solutions that a lot of immigrants have to kind of create because they're not either aware of, you know, there's other options or there weren't other options at that time, right? Growing up, anytime before the age of 16, I kind of looked at my house as like an immigration halfway house. We always had somebody living in the house with us right. that was trying to get onto their feet, right? Um, I... It sounds really great and amazing, the product that you're able to create, but there there has to be, like, I, I look at it like all this information is great, but I don't see that the U.S. is going to be like, oh, this is easy information, green light, go ahead. There had right. to be a lot of pushback, and I'm sure they wanted to verify some of the information somehow from these other credit bureaus. What, what did that look like? Like, was there an yeah. approval process that they had to approve these other credit bureaus before they said, okay, you're good to go or. Yeah. Well, if, if you actually just think about like who the actors are within, within this saga or play or whatever <laughs> the right word is like the, the governments actually don't play uh, a that much of a direct role. It's more of like an indirect role or the governments will say like, um, here are the rules hmm. of how the economy and this system should operate. And now you private sector need to figure out how to play within it. And so mm. for us, in terms of getting access to the information, everything has to do with consent. So like, do we believe 
that this consumer actually wants this information uh, about themselves access. And then when it comes to the U.S. market, uh, it's less about the U.S. government and it's more about the uh, credit risk teams at each bank. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we like plug a data pipe into the U.S. and we're done. Uh, I wish it were that easy. Right. Uh, we actually have to go customer by customer and say, you know, hey, American Express, here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Here's the opportunity for you. Here's how much incremental approvals you should be able to drive. Um, and uh, we take them through a process where we'll show, you know, here are the uh, all the connections around the world we've established. Here's the quality of the data. Here's how we understand that information. Here is the equivalent Nova score. Uh, which can be used in the United States, and so we take them on a on a bit of a journey, if you call it. Uh, uh, you know, it's like a credit risk workshop is ultimately uh, the the term we use, where we will help inform, educate our partners about the availability of the information, the quality of the information, ultimately how to use it to help more people gain access. I see that you guys have had. Um, some pretty good relationships with Stanford. How did Stanford get involved with Nova? Mm. I mean, Stanford's where we started. So we were we were a graduate uh, student project. We, you know, were interested in starting a business. We didn't really know what that you know what we were doing. Um, and I think Stanford had helped with um, you know a broad curriculum around like entrepreneurship. And I think one of the biggest lessons uh, I learned there. Uh, is around how to conduct user research in a uh, unbiased, objective way. And I think this is, this is one of the traps that a lot of founders fall into where they'll go and like interview their friends and they'll be like, hey, I'm working on this thing. Here's the problem. Here's the answer. What do you think? And 99% of your friends will be like, awesome, do it. That sounds yeah. great. This makes a lot of sense. And you get all you're getting is really like encouragement, which, which is which is valuable. But really what you need is like, um, you know, a, a you need the truth. And the only way to get to the truth is to like ask questions in an objective way where you're, they're not leading questions. And it was really through that line of inquiry that we stumbled on a problem. And then it was through many weeks and months of iteration and trying to figure out what the right solution, now years uh, of, of work, uh, to figure out what the right solution uh, was that we started to actually get this business off the ground. I see that, um, that like I, when I was doing my little bit of research about you guys, that you guys were able to, or the grads from Stanford were able to raise a, a substantial amount. Um, it leads me kind of to a curious question. How how do you go about funding? Are you guys a nonprofit or are you guys kind of subsidized through the immigrant or the or or the actual credit side like how does funding work for the process yeah, yeah so as, as a business we are a uh, what I would call a social enterprise we are a mission driven for-profit uh, company that is venture funded so we've we've raised money from a variety of great funds here uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, funds like Kleiner Perkins, General Catalyst, Index Ventures, Y Combinator, First Round Capital, uh, a bunch of others. Uh, and so at the end of the day, we believe that um, to build an enduring business, to build a sustainable solution to a systemic problem, you have to have a business model um, that makes sense, that can actually generate a profit in the long run. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean you can't do good uh, along the way. And I think we're very fortunate that our core business model can help bring people into the financial system, in doing so create a lot of value, and in doing so enable us to capture a piece of the value that, that we create. And so uh, the way it works is every time, the product today is entirely free for consumers. Um, and anytime we help a consumer get approved on the basis of our capability for a new financial product, that enterprise, so the, the lender will pay us uh, a fee for helping them do that. And so the, the value to them is you know, they've won a new customer and that customer has, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars of value for them. Uh, and mm. they'll share a piece of that with us. Mm. For sure. I mean, if we even think about how much money is to be made off of a mortgage over right. years, that's, that's very substantial. And I think that's probably a lot less of an amount of a commission that you guys be making off of that relationship, right? <laughs> right. What is, yeah, what mean, is the yeah. process look like um, if, one, like, how do you 
find people to educate them about your services and two like what is that process what does the onboarding process look like because you know being an immigrant you're very you know uneasy about being led down the wrong path maybe and you know you have your questions and you don't necessarily trust everything that's happening around you so what does that onboarding process look like yeah i mean most of our um volume comes from consumers who simply want a financial product. So they just they want an American Express card or a student loan from one of our partners or an auto loan from one of our partners. Um, and so they just walk in the front door of those providers, whether that's digitally or through a retail branch, and they apply naively, uh, thinking that, you know, they should be approved. Um, and for, um, you know, for most of those consumers, they do get rejected. Uh, because most of those pro providers of those services don't have Nova Credit enabled. But for the ones that go to our partners, um, they are then given an opportunity to pull in their information um, automatically. It's like part of their application and get and get approved through that. And so those businesses that are partnered with us are now winning a larger and larger share of this customer segment. Like word of mouth is real among immigrants. Right? You're going to tell your friends and your cousins and everyone else in, within your diaspora. Um, and that will help other businesses feel the urgency to adopt uh, because otherwise they will not uh, win this segment. So that's the majority of our businesses. Consumers just go directly to AmericanExpress.com or uh, other of our partners uh, and apply and like they will stumble upon our capability or they can come directly to us, uh, NovaCredit.com. Tell us what, uh, what country you're from and we will provide personalized recommendations of um, what we think are the best products for you. Nice. Now you did mention American Express. Um, who are you partnering with? What? Who are your your financial service providers? Yeah. So on our on our homepage, you'll you'll see uh, a few of the partners listed out there. So we work with some of the largest credit card issuers uh, in the world. Uh, we work with some major auto lenders uh, as well. So we had announced a partnership uh, last quarter with a company called Westlake, which is a major direct and indirect auto lender. Uh, we help people get apartments uh, with property management partnerships with companies like Yardi and First Advantage. Uh, we have a major announcement coming in a couple months with one of the big um, telecom carriers uh, where we will be helping people get cell phone plans uh, uh, and device financing using their foreign credit. Um, so we, we have diversified across a variety of major pain points that this customer segment uses. There are more. Uh, there's more. Uh, there are more products we want to be able to bring onto the platform, and that's you know, it's a big body of work for us this year and, and the years to come. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and I know, uh, you know, typically when, and again, I'm just trying to think of my, my family's experience, um, when they're looking for how to get that credit, you know, when they start doing their research, sometimes it's, you know, you just search on Google and, you know, we, we always say Google's your best friend. You can just search it find all kinds of stuff and sometimes it's really really hard you know when 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 people look for okay how can i get credit with like low interest rate you know or mm -hmm. zero whatever percent of first whatever months you know it's it's it, you know we're always looking for the best possible deal and solution um and one of the biggest like like one of the biggest things even for us as a a a podcast Sometimes, um, like Nexel and I both have multiple channels. So sometimes it's when people like how to find us, how, mm. how, you know, where to find us in all these different platforms or, um, so the, my, my question, I guess, is like, does American express advertise you guys? Um, what do you guys do when it comes to get those people to say like, Hey, um, we're Nova credit. This is where we're at. And anybody coming into the States like we could help you guys. Like how, how, how does that look like? And how do you guys get eyeballs to you guys? Yeah. Um, I think the most honest answer I can give you is like, we're still experimenting with that. Um, we've experimented with many different channels over the years, Facebook, Instagram ads, uh, Google, um, helping, you know, write great content that people gravitate towards. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people, learn about the immigration journey from YouTube. And so like we've experimented with partnerships with YouTube and some of the influencers there who help, you know, explain to international students like what the 
many steps of the international student immigration journey uh, looks like. Um, so we've done a lot of work there. Um, we uh, we think there's a lot of opportunity in helping bring our partners together. So you know we'll help somebody get a student loan, um, which is like really an incredible product for them, and, and it actually you know unlocks their ability to actually come to the United States and get an education here, and that just jumpstarts their whole professional career. But we can help that same consumer also get a credit card, right, and, and accelerate building U.S. credit history. And so being able to to cross sell across our many partners, we think is an incredible uh, value add. And so if a consumer learns about Nova Credit through uh, one of our partners on one particular financial product, we can then help unlock them for many others, right? So helping them get a cell, a cell phone, helping them get there a place to live, helping them get a student loan can unlock a card or an auto loan or a variety of other things. That's cool. No, credit's a very interesting thing in general. You don't really know you need it until you need it. And then once you understand and you have it for a little while, then you can understand that credit is more than just a credit card. It's, it's leverage, right? A lot of people would not be where they've gotten to in life without some form of credit, right? A lot of people take out loans, they leverage them, they're able to do investments and, you know, get into real estate and do all kinds of stuff like that. But credit for the most part in the beginning of it is reactive. And I feel like your product is very, it, it, it's, it's a very reactive product when people are coming over to the States. Do you guys have any kind of implementations that makes it proactive from where they're coming from? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the aspiration. The, the aspiration is like, as soon as you know that you want to move yeah. across borders or to the United States, that like, here's the playbook. Here, right. Here's how you do it. And we want to help carry you through those many steps um, and uh, create content that first helps educate you about you know, what is social security number? How do you get one? When are you going to get one? Right. Um, you know, how do you sign up for a visa consultation at the U.S. consulate in Calcutta? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like there's a lot of opportunity to help people understand the many steps involved, take them through this like feeling of, um, you know, uh, walking into the unknown and uh, across that journey help them figure out what is the best set of financial products uh, and frankly products uh, for them uh, as part of their journey because when you when you move you have to fully restart right you got to get your first bank account your first card your first auto or student loan place to live a cell phone plan so like every one of those things is something that someone's going to need over the course of those next few months and that's an opportunity for us to create a lot of value it's really cool do you i, I heard you guys talking um about some of the companies, the credit companies in the States. And a lot of the names sound familiar, Equifax, TransUnion. We use the same ones over here in Canada as well. So um, do you find that when you're building those relationships, if they're in several countries, it makes that process a little bit easier? I used to think that, I mean, in practice, <laughs> not really. I mean, they, they sort of operate as their own kind of local fiefdom for the most part, uh, with, with a few exceptions. Um, I think this is all public. Yeah, I mean, our partnership with TransUnion in Canada has, has been, a, you know, they've been good, good partners to us. It helped catalyze a partnership uh, in several other markets, uh, in addition to what we're doing in, with them in, in Canada. Um, so there, there are opportunities where we can kind of knock out more than one market through one deal. Uh, but for the most part, it's kind of like one country at a time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I do have, oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's a lot of work, you know, like, that's the, uh, you know, on, on the surface, it may sound cool and uh, exciting to go around the world and meet people and sign these deals. But in reality, like every single country that we plug into our network is an incredible amount of work from dealing with the local regulations to uh, building the right set of relationships and navigating the product flows and the compliance and information security mm -hmm. to actually understanding the core data to standardizing it to bring it into the United States and making sure that it, that, that information is ultimately compliant with U.S. rules. Yeah. Now I, you said you're in, uh, you're up in Northern California, right? In terms of where we're based. Yeah. Uh, we're split between San Francisco and New York. Okay. So, um, I, well, I, I'm sure, you know, in, in, in California, there's always a, 
a huge flux of immigrations coming from like our Latin borders um, constantly, you know, and, and I still have family like in El Salvador that, you know, try to come over. And that's like, that's like the question they always ask, like, Hey, you know, I, I want to get a cell phone and I don't want to get this, you know, some random brand that they're just like, I'm not, you know, I want to get something that's actually going to work, <laughs> you know? Right. And sometimes I tell them like, Hey, you know, cause they'll ask me like, you know, do you mind if, if you sign, if you co-sign, you know, that, that, that's always like the biggest thing. Can you co-sign for me? Can you, and then it's funny because even as a family where you're just like, I don't know if I want to, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> I'm not sure about you, man, but it's it, like in, in California, it's, it's very, it's every day we're constantly getting, um, and I know it's California and Texas. Those two states are just insane when it comes of, of a lot of our Latin countries just coming in daily. Um, and I, you were just saying how much work it is. So w when they do come in and they're seeking, cause the first thing, they, the first thing they do a, a lot of these people is the first thing is jobs. Where can I go to get a job to get right. money? Um, so is there, I, I, is there like, like, like certain times that you've noticed that you're like, okay, there's a lot of people coming in now. There's a lot of people applying for it. When you get all these people come in all at once, is there like a certain time of year that you do get, I don't know, like, like more people than, than other times of years? Um, is there very specific things that they are asking for also? Like, Hey, I, I absolutely need some sort of credit for a cell phone or, um, a car or, or, you know, somewhere to stay. Most of the time they, you know, they'll find a family member, but the biggest thing is, is, is how to communicate, which is going to be a cell phone and then a vehicle. So that way they can get around to get to a job potentially. Yeah. Um, a lot of seasonality and immigration. Um, I think the best way to answer it is you, you actually have to kind of think about like, what are the, different reasons for why people come. So like the easiest one is like students. Students mostly come uh, around the start of the school year. Um, mm -hmm. And so that typically means the start of the semester. So that's a lot of immigration coming in like the uh, August, July, August, September timeframe, and then a bit more coming in like the start of the winter quarter. So that would be like, um, mm -hmm. you know, Jan, Feb kind of thing. Um, then for like foreign professionals, most of them are gonna be parents. And most of them don't want to move in the middle of the school year. Uh, so they're mostly going to be moving in like the peak summer months or like around the, the Christmas holidays uh, to just kind of create a bit of like change for folks. Then you'll find, and this isn't entirely our, our target demographic, but you'll find like seasonal workers. So folks who will work in agriculture, who will come in uh, or work on the ski slopes. And you'll see a lot like, you know, if you go to, you know, to, to Tahoe or to Colorado, you'll see, you Colorado. Know, young young folks from latin america who are doing you know mm -hmm. their summer season working in you know the resorts here australians work in the resorts here um you know, like you know first job out of college or haven't even gone to college kind of their gap year so you'll see kind of an influx for a few months of folks there so there's, there's seasonality across um, these different segments it's also crazy stuff like um what are they called snow bunnies uh which are Canadians who snowbirds. You know, feel a little too cold. Snowbirds, thank you. Yeah. Snowbirds. I knew I knew what you were saying. <laughs> uh, I want to be a snowbird snow, soon too. <laughs> I'd rather be a snow bunny than a snowbird, probably. But yes, a snow a snowbird uh, is you know someone from Canada that's going to go down to like Arizona, New Mexico, Florida, and like just like kind of hibernate in the in the winter and get some get some sunshine. And so like that's an opportunity for us, right? And so there's all these little little micro pockets that exist. Uh, of you know where, where this community uh, or, or you know immigrants newcomers come to the states, uh, and that's ultimately an opportunity where this problem exists and one where we can create value. We sometimes think of assets to be monetarily linked with something, but something as simple as having a dual citizenship, I think, in this day and age, is an asset. It is right. really good to have a dual citizenship. Sometimes people have more than a dual citizenship and they're very difficult to achieve. And once you get a dual citizenship, you want to be able to obviously build up in those areas. For us Canadians here, 
I know more than a few that are snowbirds. My neighbor just left at the end of January and he's not coming back until April or May. Right. And he tells me every time he leaves, he's like, here's my snowblower. My driveway is clear. You can park in it if you need to. <laughs> like, and they're gone. They're gone until April or May. Right. <laughs> and that's ideally, it would be great if we didn't have to do that when we retire. And the idea is we could still live six months of the year in the States and six months of the year here. But when I go there, I can still work and function like a contributing member of society. So right. I think it's really cool. And Nova plays, I think, a, a really big part in that. Um, you know, I think maybe it's a little bit biased or one-sided, but I think that Canada and immigration and where we're kind of going with population, we kind of need a little bit more immigration than maybe the States does. We're sitting at around somewhere around 36 million in population. I think in the States is somewhere around 240 million. My numbers are probably completely off, but it's, it's around that number. We're right? higher. We're higher. We're like 330, I think right now. Yeah. So we are like a 10th of your population with right. a larger land mass. And a third of our population is sitting in one province. Right. <laughs> so it makes it really interesting. When and really in one city. Yeah, it's really in one city, right? Um, but now GTA. we're starting to spread out more. And I live I live yeah. in the GTA. And the average price home, when I tell my friends in the States, it completely blows their mind. We're looking at $1.1 in Canadian dollars for the average home because we constantly have more and more people coming in and not enough homes for them. And it makes it a really, you know, it makes what you guys do in such a high demand. Because we're having more and more immigration coming in without, I guess, the homes for them. So they're fighting for real estate and there's not enough homes on the market. But even if they could get a home, you're looking at these million dollar homes and how do you afford it when you first move into a country, right? Or, or is, it, is it even right to you know, allow somebody to lever up and buy a million dollar home before they've really established a job? Like, I, I don't think that's necessarily the... The right answer, and I think that the, the the story of Canada, I think, is is a complicated one. And there've been there's a lot of literature out there around like trying to create immigrant communities in, you know, uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta mm -hmm. and various other pockets, and how if you create enough density of people from a particular diaspora, then they can stick together, and like that will help uh, keep people and and actually help Canada populate not just in the GTA but like across and for the economic growth to spread across the, the overall country. But what ends up happening is most most people want to move to you know the bigger cities and the places with more economic opportunity and more jobs. Yeah. Um, and so despite a lot of efforts from you know the administration and many nonprofits out there to help spread uh, the population and all the economic benefits that come from immigration, it ultimately tends to concentrate in, in the big cities. Yeah, it's interesting what's happening here. Um, I'm slowly in the transition of moving towards Niagara Falls area. And what I'm seeing is that there's a lot more money being thrown at internet and broadband. So I guess the idea is more and more people are working remotely, working from home. Do you really need to be in the GTA if you can get decent internet? <laughs> and if right. you can get decent internet, then I mean, you don't necessarily need to be in the core. I mean, that, that's kind of what you were saying earlier. Like if you know, COVID has proved that we can be high functioning, productive members of society, you know, on the beach, maybe not on the beach, but like all hopefully. over the world. Uh, hopefully, maybe some of you on the beach, I don't think I can be high functioning on the beach. Uh, it's too distracting. <laughs> um, but I, I think we're, you know, we're, we're coming to a world that will forever be increasingly globalized, right? People will continue to move uh, around the world in pursuit of you know opportunity uh education love and i would maybe add another one which is just like a better life like like a better lifestyle better weather whatever whatever however you want to describe it and that means that where you bank and borrow is going to continue to change um and that's opportunity and that's that's you know that's those are that's that's not a core target area for us to invest as a business today but i could see that being a much bigger segment over time I got a, I got a comment, maybe a question. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's to either of you, either of you. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the, 
<laughs> I know this is going to be interesting. Um, so you, we got the Canadian birds or whatever you want to call them. Um, the snowbirds <laughs> that they come down here to warm up. I have a neighbor. And every. Okay. So starting in like late October, November, uh, December, we start getting these winds and um, they call them the Santa Ana winds. They get really bad, really crazy. And around January, February, March is when these winds, they're not as cold as it was, but they pick up big time. You know, I lived in Calgary and we used to call them Chinook winds and it would be like a summer day in winter. Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> Sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> so in the beginning, though, it the so, you know, Colorado will get all these like random snowstorms and all that wind gets pushed down here and um, or the cold, I should say, all that cold gets pushed down and, and the wind brings it all in here. So in October, November, December, when we're starting, when the temperature just starts getting like super bipolar, it'll be like really, really hot. Next thing you know, it'll be, it'll be super windy, but it will be very, very cold. And then when there's no wind, it gets all hot again. It's just like, dude, what the hell is going on here? So um, I got this neighbor. Every time that happens, he leaves to Mexico. <laughs> he takes off. And I know several people that do this. They will leave, and I'm and I and I always ask them. I'm like, "What is this called?" Like, because Canadian snowbirds, they come down here to to get some of the heat, <laughs> but we got some Californians that will leave, <laughs> and they'll go down towards like Cancun. And I want to say he just got back like a few weeks ago. <laughs> he was gone for like three months, and I'm just like, "Why do you leave?" And he's just like, "Oh, you know, the winds, and it gets too cold, and it's going to start heating up again." And I'm just like, "I don't know what to call you," <laughs> you know. What do you call that for a California or a somebody from the States that migrates South? <laughs> Probably go American Eagle. American Eagle. Right now. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. I man. mean, like there's, there's so much of that uh, happening uh, around the world. And um, I think it's only going to accelerate with, with time as people can work remotely work from wherever they want. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just touching back on Canada and how I think that we need our population to grow exponentially for us to really, I guess, flourish at all. Um, what's next for Nova Credit? I know that you guys are mainly looking at just the imports of immigrant into the States, but do you guys see what you've been able to build um, being utilized as a sense of an immigration tool into other countries like Canada or maybe the UK. And I know you talked about India, how they're just building up their credit situation there. But do you see that as a natural transgression or, you know, trans transcendence into the credit industry in other countries as well? On the roadmap. Uh, yeah. I mean, today we can access data and, you know, just over, 20 countries, we can pull credit information on about one and a half billion consumers all around the world. And if any of those consumers move to the United States, we can help unlock the products they need when they first arrive. And uh, core to our strategy over the next few years is supporting uh, migrant corridors, not only bound for the US, but uh, bound for, for many other markets. There's obviously many, it's about 350,000 immigrants that move to Canada every year. Uh, there's a bit more than that that moves to the UK every year, but more than a little bit less than that that moves to Australia every year. Um, and that's just annual flow, like the, the UAE, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, intra-European migration. There's a lot. Uh, there's a fair bit happening within uh, Latin America. Um, and so anytime somebody crosses a border, like they have to restart with the new financial system. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, focusing on what are the other major immigrant corridors is really how we are prioritizing. And so, you know, uh, India to uh, to the UK, Nigeria to the UK, China to Hong Kong, um, 
Hopefully that gives you kind of a, a flavor of some of those, some of the major corridors that we need to be focused on and where we see a lot of opportunity. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's, that's so much information, a lot of information. Um, so before we wrap, um, what is the last thing you could tell our viewers and listeners where they can find you if they are needing um, credit to build? Just go to our website, novacredit.com, N-O-V-A credit.com. Um, and we've got a whole set of tools and content that helps people figure out how to build credit, figure out the best financial product uh, for whatever is their personal situation. It's a credit card, an auto loan. We're going to be uh, adding a few more capabilities here in the next few months. Um, you know, building credit is so important to a life in the United States for, for better or worse. Um, you need it to access a lot of the basic uh, services that make a life great and enable you to pursue the American dream. And like what we do as a business is we make it a little bit easier for, for people to do that, starting with, uh, starting with immigrants. Um, and if anyone has questions, I'm, I'm pretty available, accessible. I'm just Misha at NovaCredit.com. So uh, for those listening that want to learn more about what we do, for those interested in potentially a career change or for those simply just, you know, interested in what we're doing, feel free to drop me a note. Awesome. And we'll make sure to leave all that information in the description below. Um, if anybody wants to uh, get in touch with Misha or check out the website, um, a lot of good stuff. Very, very positive. Always, always good to find stuff like this because this this helps this helps the world go around. So, <laughs> um, yeah, with all that being said, want to appreciate uh, appreciate everybody who's who's stopped by to listen to us. Um, thank you, Misha, for coming and having uh, this conversation. Really, really appreciate you coming by and uh, having a conversation with us, man. Awesome. Thank you both for the time. Really great to be on the show. Yeah, it's amazing. Everyone's going to have somebody that they know that is looking to transition into the States. Everyone does. And, okay. you know, we don't always have the answers. And I'm really happy to see a product that actually points people in the right direction. So uh, it is awesome to actually be able to connect with you. And I appreciate the the conversation. And I, I almost feel like maybe down the road, there's going to be a follow up because it sounds like you guys have a lot of things on the roadmap. More things than I'd like to admit, and you know, my team, my team can be uh, upset with me periodically that we're doing too much at the same time, which is, you know, at times true. For yeah. sure, for sure. <laughs> so, I just want to thank everybody uh, for listening and coming out to Beyond the Streams. Make sure that you're subscribed to all the different channels wherever you're listening to us. Make sure you leave us a review so other people like yourself can find the content that you enjoy. Um, we also have live streams every 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Beyond the Streams YouTube channel, and. You never know where the conversation is going to go. We have other content creators to other companies and products that you either use on a daily basis or that you should probably know about, like Nova Credit. So thank you again, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.